This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, welcome to another episode of Wildcat Dojo Conversations, and I am still Sensei Michelle. And I'm still with Sensei Jackie. Say hi. Hi, I am still Sensei Jackie. <laughs> and we lost Landon today. We're kind of bummed. He's off having fun somewhere. And about that, we're happy. Definitely. Yes. But we gained Derek. Derek is a student and a, just a great all-around guy. Say hi. Hello, everyone. I rhymed it. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally. She's an accidental rhymer. Okay, today we're going to talk about one particular page from Peter Urban's book, The Karate Dojo. I've loved this page since the first time I saw it, which was probably in 1980. Just a quick note about the book. It was first published in 1967. I didn't know that. I didn't know. I had to look that up, that it was first published in 1967. And as far as I know, it's never been out of print since then. And that is interesting, isn't it? I know. That makes you think. In 1967, according to Wikipedia, Peter Urban was 33. So that means that he was writing this book in his late 20s. I think that's an impressive feat by anybody's measure to write a book that is this impactful in your late 20s. That's an impressive thing. And the universality of that book has lasted and is still going on. And it even said on one of the covers over all the years, on one of the blurbs on the back of the covers, that it's good for non-karate people and karate people because it makes you understand what karate really is. That's right. Anyway, back to my favorite page. It's called Guidelines for Self-Analysis, and it is divided into three levels of growth. See when you're a beginner, raw, maybe untrained, and then through a B and on to an A, which is the place where you're actually working on yourself on a constant basis. There are 18 characteristics, and there's no way we're going to discuss them all. So we're going to try to tackle two of them in this episode, and then right away two more in the next episode, and that'll at least get us started on the subject. This is a good time to mention that if you get the book, and you read the book, and you have some of the characteristics you would like us to talk about, get in touch. Let us know. If Landon were here, he'd be saying that. (laughs) Man, I miss him already. Okay, we're posting a copy of the 18 characteristics with the proper acknowledgements, of course, nice. on our webpage. So you can look it up and read it there if you want to, if you don't want to go out and pick up the book. The first one that I'm going to address, I like a lot because he talks about softness. And we've discussed softness a few times in our mm-hmm. last podcast. I think we're at, I think this is number seven, but I'm not positive because we've touched on how much Master Collegian respected softness and never thought of softness as any kind of weakness, but as a power. So Peter Urban said, when a person begins, according to this chart, he knows, and that's with a K-N-O-W-S, knows no softness. See, that's a confusing sentence. Say it in your head. Knows no softness. And I might add there that the person would also underestimate softness. Definitely. It's underestimated every single time. It crosses my mind. I wonder... Um, Derek, if that's because you're physically large, so as you grew up and um, what worked for you was not thinking about being soft, but only using a, a hard approach on someone else because you could overpower could them by your size. Oh, so I, can say, I can say that I've had experiences with that definitely being the case where I overpowered almost all my opponents. Or they would imagine. Us. That you were going to be that way uh, because so you're a big down. person. Or us as well. 
Yeah, that'd be a bummer now that I think about it. That every time somebody meets me, you know, they think I'm going to be overpowering because of my size. I've never had that into my head before. It definitely led to easier travels. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nobody gives you any trouble. That's funny. But on that same note, did you find that you had to work your softness even before you knew it as a karate trait just to be able to incorporate into regular days so that people wouldn't constantly like a loud voice in you would be more than it would be in a younger per in a physically smaller person oh it started from when i was i'll say seven or eight i was five foot five you know towering over people in such a young age and then for me just a normal conversation i had to soften my voice just so i didn't travel between the rooms so from the house going to school people being scared of me at school and having to figure that one out now, nowadays, as an adult, being able to approach people and not intimidate unless it's needed or required in that moment. Okay, so I think this is a good place to drop in a couple of examples of softness other than voice, which is certainly a really obvious one. And also, I think body posture oh, is another really obvious one, right? So somebody who kind of sticks their chest out and gets really face-wise close to you. Mm-hmm. Who intrudes on your own personal spaces. Yes. Mm-hmm. Us. We mentioned um, the loudness of the voice, but also tone of voice. Definitely. And the words. And that's and the words, yes. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going to say. And also your choice of words. And if you choose to start with something that is friendly as opposed to get to the point. Us. Right? Definitely. You'll, you'll definitely impact the, uh, the conversation from there on out. Absolutely. Master Collegian used to say about softness that water wears away rock as in the Grand Canyon. And that was his example of the power of softness. I think that's a great example. It definitely took some time, but it it did wear it away. As the person gains confidence in their strategies and in their techniques, they grow to, according to Peter Urban, the ability to separate the hard and the soft. So that's the next step that at least you can see that you have choice there. And that's another thing that really comes across in this podcast all the time, is to make choices as opposed to knee-jerk reactions or defaulting. That's right. And then if the practitioner continues to grow, then they can harmonize the hard and the soft. And I think that's what you were bringing up a minute ago, Derek, where you Mm -hmm. mentioned in the off chance that you have to use, uh, what word do I want to put there? Stern. Yeah, where it's an immediate stern tone or, I mean, the one that Jackie and I, that happens to us pretty regularly is if one child is going to accidentally or on purpose hit another one in in training, (laughs) (laughs) then it's a loud, quick voice and everything in the room stops and looks. And then we can go right back to whatever softness we need at that moment. Which, frankly, was one of the first places where I ever really had practice of drawing up my hardness and then dissolving it right away and drawing my softness right back up. And now I'm so used to it that oftentimes with my kids, after I've had to be stern with them, I will come back and say something really silly and funny and and goofy and then go back to being hard and then come back to being soft (laughs) for them so that they can see two things. One, that it is a skill. It wasn't a reaction. It was something that I chose. And two, that... Even though at that moment I had to be strict, our relationship is still the same. So I'm still a, mm-hmm. a trustworthy person or a person who is going to continue to do the class in the same direction, especially if they're brand new in the room. 
because they don't know. That's so necessary. Yeah, there's so many instances of that in the real world, either at home, school, or if they're old enough, work, where they'll have that knee-jerk reaction. The person will come with a very rough or stern or very this is my way or the highway mentality to that person. And their instance is to either challenge it back down or whatever the situation may be. But that relationship is at that moment uh, paralyzed or like slightly skewed because they felt that way. So they're confused. Yes, I agree with that. Where Peter Urban said harmonizes, Master Collegian used to say summons and dissolves. And I don't know that I like it better. Or that it's even more clear. Let us know what you think. Is one of those more clear and easier for you than the other one? But I'm used to the summoning, the the concept of summoning and dissolving my different character lines through training with Master Collegian all those years. So that one makes a lot of sense in my head. Do those two descriptions seem interchangeable to you, Sensei Jackie, or what do you think? Not really interchangeable, because um, when I think harmonizes, I think that they're blending together. But when I think of summoning and dissolving, I think of kind of like a a wave, where one goes up and the other one goes down. So I I don't know that that they're exactly interchangeable, but they're definitely useful. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good point. What I wrote down here was, Let's spend a minute talking about the handy-dandy world of softness, where you might use it, when you might use it. Of course, one of my favorite places is when you get pulled over. I say, I've said that on other podcasts, so people would think I get pulled over every other day, right, for speeding or whatever. But that is where you want to summon that softer side of yourself, take a breath, relax, talk to the person like they're a person, and not come forward as aggressive or defensive or any of those um, that puts that other person, the, the police man or woman, on guard. Yes. I think about when I go into a doctor's office or yes, um, and, and the person behind the window who has the power comes at me with such a, a forceful voice <laughs> and... I have to stand quietly, let it go through me, and then not speak in that same uh, voice, or it would be like two rams butting heads. Nothing would get done. I feel like we've mentioned this before about 15 years ago, since Jackie and I were on a mission to see how fast we could get somebody's mood to change when they're behind the counter and all driven and angry. And so we would see, could we do it in two sentences or three sentences or how many sentences would it take us to get their mood to change and laugh just a little bit before we pushed on? Sometimes they're not that fast at it. Sometimes they're not. It takes a really long time to draw them out from where they are. But the people are abusive to others. Well, the people who enter the building are abusive to the people behind the counter, so they wear their guard all the time. Us. And the easiest way, if you just in case you want to do this experiment, the easiest way to do it is the soft voice and personalize. Talk about something that they're wearing that you like, or talk about something that hmm. happened on the drive with the weather or whatever, something that's general and everybody can relate to and brings them into the moment with you. And then they usually, you'll see that body posture drop a little bit. That's it. Also soften up. It's interesting, isn't it? It's a totally fun game. Uh, I, I see it happen so many times, maybe me working in the uh, culinary industry from dealing with other people that I've worked with or dealing with customers. A lot of times people will come to you with a very hot headed attitude, especially if you're working in the, the culinary industry, just restaurants in general, uh, being able to soften your voice so, to like approach them so that they understand 
I'm not here to impact you in a negative way. I just want you to, us to be on the same wavelength. So it kind of, it, it's like almost uh, piercing the armor. Yeah, the armor being that negative emotion. All right. Let's talk about summoning softness in a fight, in an actual sparring match, no. or in a save your life situation. In a save your life situation, of course, the first thing that comes to mind is when the person becomes aggressive to you. If you don't become aggressive back, then oftentimes it'll just wind itself down. But what usually happens is whatever anger they brought, you catch it. And and both of you are just butting heads until it it turns into something that it didn't have to be, road rage. And and yet, going back to everything, every podcast, we've said the same thing. Breathe. Go to your chi pocket. You can summon whatever emotion, whatever you need at that moment. And I certainly think it's true in a fight. Master Collegian had, had said more than once when I was in the room, Right before you become a lion, you're a mouse. Us. But what he meant by that, in my opinion, was that you you seem like you're going to fold kind of soft, kind of relaxed. And then when you explode, it's with full power. Now, sparring matches, point fighting, not full contact fighting, although it's true about that too. Sparring matches, they last a long time. Yes. So if you can not be so wound up, the entire time, that would be kind of like harmonizing. Yes, That's when you would use that harmonizing instead. But we could also say summon and dissolve there. Your speed, your power, your flow, then it's less wear and tear on all of these, the mind, the body, and the, I don't know if I want to say the emotional output, because that makes it sound like you're crying or whatever. I don't mean it that way. But there is an emotional component in fighting because sometimes it, it bruises your ego. Yes. So that's a thing you need to ma- learn to manage early on. I feel like softness will really help with the emotional content of that as well. Because being able to put your pride or ego in check is a very softening moment for yourself. Because a lot of people will sit up there with their chest forward and their head held high which is good to have confidence, but then it gets into arrogance if it goes too much, and then the softness will help keep yourself in check. A couple of podcasts back, we discussed the difference between a, a person who is confident and a person who is driven by ego, yes. which is a very complicated subject and definitely one day might <laughs> get its own podcast, but it's a complicated subject. so yes. But it we'll, certainly is involved in sparring. Oh, yes. Can be. Can be. Can be involved in that. Any other areas of examples on softness before I push on out of this one? Okay, then. On we push. According to the chart, a beginner works in a restricted way. I would rephrase that from my experience and say that another way to say it is that they try to adapt karate to them. They fight to keep their weaknesses while Mm. at the same time attempting to get karate to match everything that they brought to the party. And I think he and I are, are saying similar things there, if not exactly the same. Would you agree with that? Yes. I feel like that's something that, even as someone who's only been in karate for about nine years now, that's something I still I still deal with on a day-to-day when I go into to the class to summon up what's necessary for that day. And I have a, a, a thing that goes through my head that is that when an adult comes to karate, when you come to karate as an adult, which you did, it takes us almost 10 years just to unload all the bags. 
that they brought in with them. And then the person can start to rebuild from that point. But it really is a long process. Whereas if the person comes in as a child, they have so much less baggage. They may have too much confidence, which I'm not sure is a bad thing in a kid. They may have not enough confidence or they be real shy or whatever. In fact, they're definitely going to be on one of that, on that scale somewhere, but they don't have, this is how I've always done it. So this is how I'm going to keep on doing Mm. it. Where adults always have that. They bring it. And they try to rationalize karate to their, uh, what they bring. Yep. That's exactly (laughs) what happens. But according to the chart, the person then from the restricted stage enters the compulsive stage. And, and so I interpret the compulsive stage to mean like you, you react rather than act. Hmm. And hmm. sometimes you react in the right way and you hope you learn that was a good action on my part. And sometimes you overreact yelling or something that didn't belong or you overreact folding inwardly and getting a hurt feeling over something that really wasn't meant to hurt your feelings at all. It just happened in the dojo that day or in daily life, actually. So that compulsive behavior, in my opinion, is kind of where you're figuring out which things work and which things don't. Yes. And hopefully you're focused and you can actually see which things work. And then just like we've said all along, you summon up the ones that work, the tools that work for you. What do you think? I think that the um, the compulsive part, uh, frequently when someone is just so in love with karate, but they don't understand it, they just love it, that in every situation, whether they're um, at a restaurant with friends or they're at home with, with their family, and a subject comes up and they start talking about it, then they say, well, in karate, we would do it this way. My teacher in karate says it has to be done that way. So they, they use that as the be-all and the end-all of every situation. And that is pretty compulsive. And I can see compulsive behavior really clearly as a person's learning to fight. Oh, yes, I can agree with that. I mean, there you can see it in the sparring really, really well because they go from a person who constantly only has one direction going forward or constantly only has one direction going back to trying it out, being able to go in both directions. However, when something happens that is spontaneous and that they didn't anticipate, then there's an overreaction and maybe the fight gets a little bit harder than it needs to be, that kind of thing. And there's a stage where they go through that and then they have to kind of just work their way through. I'm trying to think in daily life, I'm sure in the workplace, we can see some examples of where people have things happen and they're spontaneous and they were not necessarily meant to get a reaction, but inside the person, they have an emotional reaction. And then sometimes they act on it and sometimes they don't. And again, just finding their way as to what strategy is going to get me what I want, as opposed to wearing your heart on your sleeve. Uh, uh, That happens, I would say, from my experience of being in culinary for 10 plus years, even in retail or any other job, you have moments where that happens and then you have to compartmentalize as a person what's not necessary. Otherwise, you usually lose your mind about something. And usually it's the smallest thing. Exactly. When you, some, has this ever happened to you? Sometimes you, three or four days later, you're thinking about some, about how you felt that day, but you can't remember exactly why. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you know something happened, but you don't know exactly why it happened. To finish this progression, Peter Urban wrote that the practitioner who was an A in this process would constantly strive 
to be efficient. Definitely one of the takeaways, the takeaways that we've said, I, I'm going to say this is the third time we've brought it up, is you have control from your fingertips back. Oh, from your fingertips out, what people say to trigger you, what who gets in your face, their tone of voice, those are all not under your control. So a person, I shouldn't take them in like, oh my gosh, this is so bothersome. I should just blow it off. Mm-hmm. The biggest insult to rudeness, by the way, is to just ignore it and make it unimportant. And then the person who was intentionally being rude is like, hey, why didn't you notice? <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me be rude. <laughs> and, and furthermore, react so it feels like it. I'll say moments like that is like someone handing you a vial of poison. And I, it's in your hands right now. Why keep it? Don't even let it be in your hands. Right? That's Discard the way to the go. Bad. And Peter Urban, on one of his characteristics, he has one that ends in lives in reality. And I just want to mention real quick that in the 10 virtues, when I talk about number 10, I say is loyal to ourselves, our family, and what we know is the right thing to do. Robert Lasorsa says ourselves, our family, and the laws of reality. And nice. that is a good fit also, as is this, because the the reality is whatever the reality is in that moment. So if you read the characteristics and you have an idea of one you'd like us to tackle, email us at dojoconversations at AOL.com or message on Facebook or our webpage, also called Wildcat Dojo. And I think that's about it today. Don't you guys think that's about it? I think that's it. It was great. It's been fun. <laughs> I'm so glad that Derek was here to join us today. No, I, was I was here too. I know. And I'm Sensei Michelle, signing off. Closing out this podcast is a great time to remind you that even though I've spent a few episodes talking about Peter Urban's book, I'd love for you to go on Amazon and look for my teacher's books. The spelling of his last name is K-E-L-L-J-C-H-I-A-N, Joseph Kalichin. Type it in and you'll get three books. One Woman Every Minute, a book about self-defense. Classical Chokes, a great technical book, and 365 Days of the Warrior, a book we do expect to talk to as time goes by. Buy them, read them, and get ahead of the game. They're great books, and they're totally worth the few dollars that they're asking on Amazon. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week.